The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Brian D. Estelle. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Um, I'm choosing as our text this morning, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to 6, but I would also like to look at Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, a familiar passage. I'm finishing up some writing on intertextuality, so I can't help but be intertextual even during uh, this uh, message. Um, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law and in order that we might receive adoption as sons. There's two purpose clauses there if you're looking at your Greek text. Uh, The ESV doesn't render them that way. I did so purposefully. Uh, Turning back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, We'll read verses one through six. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Thus the reading of God's word. It is indeed very interesting that Paul calls the law, by which he means the letter, that he says it kills in this passage, whereas the spirit gives life. How can Paul write such a thing since he clearly communicates elsewhere that to Adam after the fall, indeed in the promises of Abraham and in the writings of Moses and in the fullness of the New Testament, Clearly, it communicates that people are saved in the old uh, as they were in the new. The gospel in all these ages gives life. So what is the apostle doing here? The resolution to this problem is, of course, that the mosaic economy was given to accomplish different objects. And therefore, it is repeated in scripture in different ways. And therefore, as Charles Hodge said years ago, what therefore is true of it in one aspect is not necessarily true in another. That is because, says Charles Hodge, that the mosaic economy was given for several different reasons. First of all, and he says, in the first place, it was a reenactment, his very words, a reenactment of the covenant of works. Secondly, it was a national covenant. He says it presented national promises on the condition of national obedience. Very similar to what uh, Burkhoff says as well, as you're probably aware. Three, he also says, and I quote, as the gospel contains a renewed revelation of the law, 
So the law of Moses contained a revelation of the gospel, close quote. Well, how is this so? Since here the apostle says that it is a ministration unto death. Here I think it is helpful to consider what we mean when we talk about a works principle and how that is introduced in the Mosaic law. So this morning in these 15 minutes, 10 minutes, I'm not going to give you a sermon. This is a chapel, so this is not a sermon. I'm going to give you a little meditation on uh, the laws, the ministry of death. Uh, what I want to talk about is the works principle broadly and narrowly um, conceived. It is my opinion that there's still a lot of confusion on this uh, out in the churches especially, uh, but even on Westminster campus. Broadly considered, when we are defining a works principle, it is first important to distinguish it from what it is not. This works principle is related to the doctrine of retribution in the Old Testament, but it is not exactly the doctrine of retribution. You remember, especially if you had me for Psalms and Wisdom, or if you will have me for Psalms and Wisdom, we talk a lot about the retribution principle in the Old Testament. This was introduced in scriptural studies by uh, Klaus Koch in a major essay that has become highly influential both in Old Testament studies and in New. Basically it says the wicked get their comeuppance. If you're not familiar with that word, like some of my students made me aware, they had to look it up in the dictionary last semester. The wicked get their just desserts and the righteous get their just desserts. And this is a principle that we see uh, throughout the scriptures and especially in biblical studies literature. Um, responses to Clock's essay and uh, his own nomenclature for this is the act consequence nexus or the deed consequence nexus. It's pretty simple. If you're wicked, you'll be punished. If you're righteous, you'll be rewarded. And of course, this has tremendous ramifications for our understanding of all kinds of places in the scripture, uh, not only the wisdom literature, but throughout uh, the scriptures. The works principle is not exactly the retribution principle, however. Just as it is important to distinguish between the different nuances of law, uh, so it is helpful to distinguish between a broad and narrow use of the works principle. Broadly defined, a works principle is merely communicating the following. Obligations with sanctions. Obligations with blessings or curses. Obviously, such a works principle was operative in the covenant of works. All you have to do is read Genesis 2, 16 and 17 and see that that's the case. Obviously, such a works principle was also uh, operative in the Old Testament under the Mosaic economy. In fact, it was Gerhardus Voss who said years ago in his systematic theology, which is now not only in Dutch, but also coming out in English, some of the volumes are out, quote, the covenant with Israel served in an emphatic manner to recall the strict demands of the covenant of works, close quote. The law was not just a form of the covenant of grace, Voss goes on to say, it really did carry the content of the covenant of works, quote, as made serviceable for a particular period of the covenant of grace. Close quote. Although obeying such a demand was unattainable, uh, unattainable for all Israelites, of course, since they, like all humans after the fall, were not able to keep God's law because we all are only able to only sin all the time, 
It does not negate the fact that there was a real operative works principle, nevertheless, there in the Old Testament, even though unattainable for a mere human being after the fall. For some, this kills. For others, it can make a life because of the works of another. Now, indeed, a broadly defined works principle like this is introduced in many, 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 many places in the Old Testament. In many, many, many of the cultic rituals and obligations that are put upon the people and the, and the precepts and laws that are expected ritually as well as in the obedience, concrete obedience of the people. And especially germane to a discussion of the so-called doctrine of republication is the notion that the Mosaic law was a covenantal administration in which a works principle was introduced. But for what purpose? This has direct application to the merit and ministry of Christ our Savior that we were singing about uh, this morning. This is not an obscure abstract doctrine that has no relevance to our faith or the life and well-being of the souls of your people to whom you minister someday. We were singing about it in the hymn this morning. We can say with confidence that the law was necessary for introducing a works principle that Christ would fulfill on behalf of his people. Since Christ is the second Adam, the Mosaic law was an, an administration that introduced a works principle for him to perform. And Christ did fulfill the righteousness of the law, Matthew 3.15 and many other passages. Moreover, it was the curse of the law that Christ took upon himself, Galatians 3.13 and many other passages. And this he did for his elect. That is, the just for the unjust, 1 Peter 3, 18. I like the King James rendering of that verse. And thanks be to God that he performed this work as a guarantor and mediator of the new and better covenant, Hebrews 7, 22, Hebrews 8, 6, and many other passages. Now, the apostle Paul speaks of this works principle that our Savior performed very clearly in the couple verses that we read in Galatians 4. He reminded his uh, hearers there in chapter four, verse four, of Christ's redemptive work in the gospel. Christ was born under the law, the very estate from which we Christians have been redeemed, the very estate that the apostle is so concerned that his spiritual children will not return to, Galatians 4.21, Romans 6. And therefore, the condition under which Christ voluntarily put himself was one in which he put himself under the curse of the law, Galatians 3.10 and Galatians 3.13, and one in which he must do the works principle, namely Galatians 3.12, and one in which he must perform all the requirements introduced into the Mosaic law and the covenant of works by perfectly obeying, Galatians 5, verses three and four. And this he did, brothers and sisters, for you, if you are in Christ, for two reasons, in order to redeem those under the law and in order that we might receive the full rights of sons. Some might be tempted to call this antinomianism. Paul did not disparage the law. Rather, as our confession says, in chapter 19, section seven, 
Paul has no desire to disparage the law. He knows rather that the uses of the law, all the uses of the law that are trumpeted there in all of chapter 19 are so that they might sweetly comply with it. That is the grace of the gospel, close quote. Rather, Paul's point in the above passage from Galatians teach that our Savior fulfills the conditions introduced through the law. Why? In order to merit the blessings on behalf of his elect. This is intricately related to notions of republication, not an obscure doctrine, but a very important biblical doctrine. For if the Bible communicates that the covenant of creation in the garden, the covenant of works, was a covenant in which God assigned a stipulated work to Adam as a representative head of the human race, and he promised upon the fulfillment of those conditions a particular sanction, namely a reward, uh, then the law must be the foundation of any biblical covenantal system. Not grace, but first and foremost, law must be the foundation of a Protestant biblical system. Adam was created upright. We know this, but he had not reached his highest estate, no longer being able to sin. Incorruptible, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 54. That's where our first federal head was supposed to take us. Adam was obligated not to sin in his role in the garden. But that's only half the story. Adam had to offer positive righteousness as well. That was Adam's role in the garden. Adam failed. And now the second representative, an analogous role, is given to Christ through his whole life, but especially at the end. And Christ prevailed. For according to the scriptures, only the second Adam, namely Christ, paid the price for sin and obeyed God's law perfectly, fulfilling all the stipulations necessary for the blessing of union and union, communion with him. Now that, brothers and sisters, is the sole confidence of our assurance before God. The Apostle Paul sees the obedience of Christ in terms of fulfillment of a works principle introduced in the Mosaic Law. Romans 3.31, Romans 10.4, and Galatians 4.4. He took the curses and he was your probation keeper. If you're in him, he fulfilled all the stipulations. Now it is true, and I mentioned I want to make good on my promise briefly, this will be much more brief than my previous point, that a works principle should be considered broadly, but that some theologians also consider it more narrowly. Some theologians will speak of a works principle more narrowly considered, and here uh, what they mean is a works principle is connected uh, not with individual salvation, for no person after the fall can fulfill the works principle, even in part on their own, apart from God's grace. But rather, it's in connection with the enjoyment of the nation's theocratic standing, these external blessings in the land. Think of Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26. That's what Hodge seems to mean in its discussion about the Mosaic Covenant being a national covenant. That's what Burkhoff talks about in his systematic theology. And that's what still others, for example, Meredith Klein mean when they consider the works principle more narrowly as thoroughly integrated with Israel's tenure in the land. But he informs that with the principle of typology through and through. In other words, there are obligations with sanctions here as well. Okay? However, the works principle is considered typological. 
This is not a denial of the classic Augustinian and Reformed positions on man's impotence, his inability to perform the works of the law. Rather, the view expressed here is that in some sense, God gave the Mosaic law in part to take Israel through a recapitulation of Adam's experience under the covenant of works. This view suggests the Mosaic law provides a perfect framework in which the Son of God could come and fulfill his work, namely, to take the curse of the law, but also to do the law, making legible this perfect fulfillment of the works principle because basically it was intruded or introduced from the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son, and now it gets introduced into the Mosaic economy and Christ fulfills it all in all. So return to the question, how in all these ages can the gospel give life? First, we must understand that the law kills. So when the apostle speaks of the law and its full legal aspects, then we must concede, as Paul emphasizes here in 2 Corinthians, it is administration unto death. As one theologian says, the law in every form, moral, mosaic, natural, or revealed, kills. However, when we view it through the setting forth of the great penalty-paying substitution of Christ our Lord, and what's more, his probation-keeping on your behalf if you are elected in Christ, then it brings life. We must remember that the spirit, in contrast to the law, quote, reveals a righteousness adequate to our justification, close quote, as one theologian has said. So although the law kills in every form by demanding works is the condition for salvation, and it necessarily must condemn all sinners, but thanks be to God that there is one who has perfectly performed the works principle introduced into the Mosaic law, and therefore through the spirit, it gives life because Jesus Christ has satisfied fully the demands of the law. There is one who is without sin, and he did the law. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.